hello and welcome to the very first episode of the A to Z Animal Podcast. My name is Michaela Baratka and I will be your host as we go through the alphabet exploring some of Earth's amazing creatures. And if you hear any cute little bird noises in the background, that is my unofficial co-host Pickle, my canary wing parakeet, who is super quiet until I actually seem to be busy. Bonus, she's currently sitting on my head because where else would she be? My goal with this podcast is to inspire people of all ages to learn more about not just animals, but science as a whole. Science education is more important now than ever in these unprecedented times. Together, we will go through the alphabet one letter at a time, learning about a new animal each week. I was inspired by Mike Bennett art on TikTok and his A to Zoo series, where he would make a new sign every day with a new letter and animal. I highly recommend you check him out at Mike Bennett art on TikTok. We will be focusing on more obscure animals or those that really need our help in preserving the remaining population. To do this, I will make sure to include a link to the World Wildlife Fund for that week's animal, if there is one, and any other conservation efforts you can help contribute to in the show notes and on our website, if you want to donate. Our website is the A to Z Animal Podcast.com. If you want to learn more about a particular animal, all my sources will be linked in the show notes on the website. If you have any suggestions for a letter, feel free to contact me at Mickey Barra or at A to Z Animal Pod on Twitter and Instagram or through the forum, which can be found on the contact page of our A to Z Animal website. You can also reach me at A to Z Animals Pod at gmail.com. And Pickle can be found at Pickle the Canary Wing on Instagram. Okay, let's dive into it. Since today is the first episode, obviously we have to start with A. Now, there are a lot of really interesting animals that start with A, and I considered doing many different ones. However, I decided to talk about the I.I. today, because I didn't know a whole lot about them, and part of this show is not only for the audience to learn more, but for me as well. Now, when I introduce an animal, I will always give you the scientific name for it because sometimes different regions of the world have different names for different animals. We use a universal scientific name to keep track of everything and show the relationship between other animals. The scientific name consists of two parts, genus and species. Now, these two words will be appearing in every episode and you may know what a species is, but what about a genus? If there's ever a word you aren't sure about that keeps appearing, you can find it in our glossary page on the website. And just a warning, these names are Latin, And despite taking four years of Latin in high school, I know I will mispronounce so many scientific names. The II's scientific name is Dobintonia madagascarensis. Dobintonia refers to the type of lemur it is. This genus has a relatively large brain and reduced number and complexity of teeth. The II is the only extant or living species of the Dobintonia genus and the Dobintonia Day family. Madagascarensis refers to where the II lives in Madagascar. It is not uncommon for location to be included somewhere in an animal's scientific name. As I mentioned, IIs are a type of lemur, which is a type of primate. A primate is the same classification that we belong to, along with other apes and monkeys. We can break primates into smaller subgroups, including the prosimians, which includes lemurs. Prosimians are classified by larger eyes and ears with a lack of color vision. Most likely, the reason animals like the eye-eye lack color vision is due to their nocturnal behavior. Scientists believe that mammals lost color vision when the dinosaurs roamed the earth, as being active during the day increased the likelihood that they would be eaten. As it turns out, you can't really see colors in the dark, so there was no selective pressures to maintain color vision. Our ability to see color did come back in primates as we adapted to be diurnal, but the species that remained nocturnal had no need for this adaptation. 
Additionally, when mammals and dinosaurs were coexisting, mammals were very small to avoid detection. Because of this, many nocturnal mammals are small, especially nocturnal primates. But the eye-eye is the largest nocturnal primate in the world and is about the size of a house cat. They are about 38 centimeters or 15 inches long. Not to mention they've got a tail so big and fluffy that it is longer than their bodies. Think of foxtail, but on a lemur. Those tiny bodies are covered in dark, thick fur and, according to the Duke Lemur Center, adult eye-eyes can weigh between 5.5 and 6.2 pounds or 2.5 to 2.8 kilograms. Eye-eyes are also unique in that their incisor teeth continuously grow throughout its lifespan, which is more rodent-like than primate-like. This means that eye-eyes are monophydonts. Other primates, including us, have teeth that stop growing, but that means we lose our baby teeth and get visits from the tooth fairy. Because other primates lose their teeth, we are polyphydonts. Now, before I dive into some other facts about the eye-eye, I think it is important to know that in 1933, we thought this species went extinct. But then in 1957, we learned that this wasn't the case. Nowadays, they are endangered and we think their population is somewhere between 1,000 and 10,000 left in the world. Because of this, we don't have all the facts about them in the wild. For example, according to the Denver Zoo, they can live up to 23 years in captivity. And some scientists believe they live around 20 years in the wild, but there is no clear consensus on the actual duration of their wild lifespan. We do know that the II reaches reproductive age at around two years old. This species will mate all year round and have a gestation period for approximately 172 days. For comparison, a human's nine month or 40 week pregnancy is about 280 days. But to be fair, human mothers are growing a much larger baby. When they are born, baby eye-eyes, which are called infants, yes, like human babies, are about 3.2 to 5 ounces, or 90 to 140 grams. Mothers will have an infant every two to three years, as much like humans, baby eye-eyes are dependent on their mothers while they are young. As I mentioned before, the eye-eye is native to the island of Madagascar, which is an island nation off the east coast of Africa. These lemurs are more specifically located in the forests of eastern and western Madagascar. In recent years, scientists have discovered that the species is more widely distributed on the island than previously thought. The fact that we are continuously finding more data on their wild distribution contributes to our inability to calculate an accurate wild population size. All we know is that they are rare and decreasing as the global climate continues to change and forests are cut down. They hang out in the forest canopy and being nocturnal are active during the nighttime. Because their livelihood is based around hanging out towards the tops of trees, they are extra vulnerable to the effects of deforestation. According to the Duke Lemur Center, they spend about 80% of the night traveling and foraging in the canopy, although it's not uncommon to find an eye-eye walking around on the ground. And, you should know, while Madagascar may be an island, it's not small. These lemurs have large home ranges. Males typically have a range of 250 to 500 acres, which is the equivalent of 100 to 200 hectares. Females don't travel as far, but they're still on the move with a range of approximately 75 to 130 acres, or 30 to 50 hectares. Overall, these animals tend to spend their time alone, with the exception of mating and when infants are still dependent on their mothers. I found this interesting because many primates opt to live in families or some other social group. But if we are considering that these are fairly primitive primates, and by that I mean they more closely resemble the early primates, it makes sense that they tend to live alone. We think lemurs evolved in either the Eocene or the late Paleocene, meaning they very well could have come to exist at the end of the dinosaurs. If you are trying to hide from a predator, it is easier just to hide yourself and not your entire family. Now, this is not a fact, it just seems the most logical to me as someone who is studying ecology and evolution. 
So, what are they doing while alone in the trees in the middle of the night? Well, to be honest, exactly what most animals do. Look for food. Eye-eyes are foragers, and their favorite treat is insect larvae. These lemurs have long, unique middle fingers, which are used not only to dig out their dinners, but to find them. The way they do this, in my opinion, is the coolest thing about an eye-eye. They will walk along a tree, tapping with this finger, using their big ears to hear an echo. When they do, they know they're near an insect tunnel and can start ripping off big chunks of tree bark with their teeth to find the grub. This is a method called tap foraging, and I think it's super clever. Once they locate their food, they use their long, slender middle finger to root out the larvae. They hook the larvae using that finger to remove it. This finger is mostly tendon and bone, with a little bit of skin, and is much, much thinner than the other fingers. Only one other organism in the world is known to have a similar fleshless appendage like this. The other is the long-fingered possum of New Guinea, which uses its finger in a similar fashion. The two species are fairly unrelated, and therefore this shared trait is called convergent evolution, because it evolved twice in two unrelated populations. I found a really great photo that highlights the I.I.'s finger on the Duke Lemur Center's website. Their site is linked in the transcript, show notes, and on this episode's page on our website, and the photo can be found in our show notes. I highly recommend taking a look so you can see just how cool this finger is. Other than larvae, I.I. sometimes go for nuts, seeds, and even some fruits like coconuts, lychee, and mangoes. They also love a good invertebrate, like insects. All right. I think we've got a pretty good idea about how the I.I. behaves now, so here are some of the coolest things I've learned while researching them. Their odd appearance makes them one of the most distinctive mammals in the world. From their big eyes, ears, and tail to a super long middle finger, there is truly no other animal in the world that compares. Some other animals have features similar to the I.I., like the long-fingered possum, but there is no other animal that has such a weird combination of features. And yes, there is the platypus, which has a weird combination of features, but its features are not similar to the I.I., and is easily one of the other most distinctive mammals out there today. When an I.I. is afraid, excited, or agitated, they get all puffed up to give the appearance of a larger animal. They have these mostly white guard hairs that will stand on edge to help with this illusion. A lot of other animals have a similar defense strategy. In fact, I can think of quite a few lizards off the top of my head that do this, but I've never heard of a primate doing something like this. And it is thought that this defense strategy could be the reason why humans get goosebumps, or if that isn't the proper colloquial term for where you grew up, whatever you call it when your little arm hairs stick up. This is just another way that the human body hair is vestigial. A vestigial structure is something that had a function in an ancestor that is present today, but lacks function. Our body hair does not do much to keep us warm or protected from the sun, and when it stands on edge, it doesn't give the impression that we are a much larger animal. In fact, most people don't even notice goosebumps unless you point them out. And finally, my favorite fun fact, the I.I. fills the ecological niche of a woodpecker on the island of Madagascar. The island does not have this species of bird, meaning there is an ecological opportunity available, and this lemur took it. I always love learning about species that do the same ecological job, like how kangaroos are the equivalent of deer in Australia. Just like the I.I., woodpeckers will eat insects and larvae using their large beaks to hook out the food like the I.I.'s finger. Before we go, I mentioned earlier that this species is endangered. The IUCN, or International Union for Conservation of Nature, has something called the Red List, which keeps track of how threatened or endangered a species is and how their wild population is. According to the Red List, the I.I. is not only endangered, but its population is decreasing. 
Not only are habitat loss and climate change major threats to these weird little lemurs, but they are often killed because people find them to be pests and a threat to crops. Bonus, their odd appearance made some villages believe that they are bad omens, which leads to more of them being killed. Only about 50 II are currently in human care. Nine are currently at the Duke Lemur Center, and 14 are at AZA accredited institutions in America. Other institutions that have individuals are the Bristol Zoo, London Zoo, Paris Zoo, Tokyo Zoo, and Frankfurt Zoo. I mention this because when we have a small captive population for endangered species such as this, it makes it difficult for captive breeding efforts to occur. In fact, most captive IIs are related to each other. That being said, I did see an article recently about one being born at the Bristol Zoo. It is important that we have some in captivity, though, because we may need these individuals to help save the population should the rate of climate change and deforestation continue at the rate that they are. So, hopefully your next question is what can you do to help? Well, I've mentioned the Duke Lemur Center a few times, and through them you can symbolically adopt an II starting at $50. This money goes towards their care for IIs. The DLC's mission includes conservation efforts such as captive breeding as well as non-invasive research at the center and in Madagascar across 14 different species of lemur. You can even go and visit the center, which is located in Durham, North Carolina. Additionally, the DLC's website has a place where you can send an II a present, which I think is a super cute and great way to ensure that the animals in captivity are getting some super fun enrichment items. Bonus, the DLC supports many other species of lemur, which are facing similar threats to their wild populations. Most likely, I will not be able to cover all these species, but that does not mean that they don't deserve your love and support. I am in no way affiliated with the Duke Lemur Center, but they do some really amazing work, so I highly recommend that you go check out their website at lemur.duke.edu, and if you are in the area, go check them out. The World Wildlife Fund is another great resource. They do not have an II up for symbolic adoption, but contributing to their efforts in Madagascar and around the world will benefit the species. I have linked an article the WWF did on the II a little while ago if you want to read more about them. Unfortunately, I was unable to find a ton of other resources on how to help these lemurs, but a great start for any conservation effort is to spread awareness, so tell your friends all about these guys. I encourage everyone to do their own research, as I can only include so much in one episode. Who knows, maybe someone listening just googled a picture of an eye and immediately fell in love and has decided to become the Jane Goodall for lemurs. I hope you enjoyed learning about the world's weirdest primate with me, and we'll stick around for next week's episode. Feel free to follow at A to Z Animal Pod on Instagram and Twitter for updates about upcoming episodes. And if you made it this far, please feel free to contact me to give me some feedback via over social media or email. All my contact information can be found on the A to Z Animal Podcast.com. What do you think I did well? What topic did I gloss over too fast? Do you want longer episodes, shorter episodes? Any feedback is highly appreciated as I am brand new to hosting a podcast and know there are probably a million things I could improve on. Thank you so much for listening to the A to Z Animal Podcast. I'm Michaela Baraka, and I hope you'll tune in next week as we move on to the letter B for Binturong. Have a great day and stay safe.